0: Well, this morning as we think about mothers, I want us to uh, honor and appreciate and think about all those. Uh, and I, I've listed ten different kinds of thoughts that I had about mothers. One, those who hope to be mothers someday. They're not mothers yet. And uh, there are some women who have no desire to be a mother. They have no, uh, no sense of calling, and that's, that's fine too. There are a lot of women... Uh, and men who uh, have chosen a life that uh, gives them the freedom to serve and the freedom to uh, to serve God, the freedom to do other things, and they they have no no desire to have children. But then there are a lot of you, you you girls here on the front row. You probably uh, hope to be mothers someday, don't you? Kind of think you'll be mothers someday. El- many many days, Elizabeth is saying many many days, many days away. That's true. But, uh, but that's good. and You know, when I first met my wife, met her when I was in college, you know, I've told you the, the very first song I ever heard her sing was uh, uh, How Long Has It Been Since You Talked With The Lord and Told Him Your Heart's Hidden Secrets. And as she was singing that song that night, I just said in my heart, I'm going to marry that girl. And uh, that was my first time to really to, to, to hear her sing. But I haven't told you the second song that I heard her sing. After the service that night, we went back into the uh, fellowship hall of the church where I was preaching that night, and and we had a little fellowship, and uh, she said, I want to sing a song. And here's the way that song went. I want to be married. I want to be a wife. I'm sick and tired of this old college life. I want to have children short skinny or fat I want to be married and that's the end of that and when she sang that song I thought maybe she's proposing (laughs) but anyway that just kind of reinforced my determination to ask her to marry me now I waited a few weeks before I did that but uh uh, I think we met in March, and I asked her to marry me in August, and we got married in December, and then, uh, and then Kim, our first child, was born in uh, November, a year and a half later, uh, almost two years later, about a year and eleven months later. But uh, uh, so I know there are ladies who want to be mothers and they're not mothers yet. And so to you, I just give this word: be patient. Be hopeful, pray, and trust God. And in time, uh, trust him to give you the right husband and the right children. So good word for you girls. Good, good word for, for all, all you young ladies. Oh, young ladies, okay, okay. And then uh, there are those, on a sadder note, there are those who have lost children. They have, uh, They some have lost children. uh Through abortion, I meet uh, women very often, Christian women, who uh, still grieve over a decision that they made years and years ago to give up a child that uh, they were persuaded by someone that it would be better to give up that child than to have that child. And then there are those who have lost children through miscarriage, and uh, that's so sad. My oldest granddaughter miscarried her first baby and she grieved as much over that as I think she anybody that I've ever seen grieve over the death of a child and then there are those who have lost children through disease or through accidents of one kind or another and we have people in our church who've suffered the uh the grief of losing a child and uh so for those who've lost children we say to you, here's a word from the Lord, trust in the Lord. Trust him to give you comfort. Trust him to give you peace and uh, and fight for it. Press into the heart of God because it is not automatic and it is not easy. And then there are those who are new mothers, those who are celebrating uh, having uh, a, a new child. We have, I, I have uh, I have so many grandchildren now and so many of them, I think uh, uh, four of them have, four of them, three of them have already had children and one of them is expecting a baby in just a few months. So, uh, and by the way, Mike and Ronnie, Mike Ongeloff, you know, he and Ronnie are going to have a baby. Isn't that exciting? And uh, so we can celebrate with them. So those who are our new mothers, those who have uh, preschoolers, and uh, Ashley, isn't that fun? Uh, So much fun having preschoolers, and uh, keeps you busy, doesn't it? And, of course, she has a full-time job teaching as well, and so you... uh, we pray for you okay amen god bless you but those are wonderful years and things are happening in those preschool years you see them learning so much so fast and those days do go away very quickly it's hard to believe but uh and it's hard to believe when you're in it that they'll ever go away but they do they just fly by so quickly and then, of course, those with elementary children have their special challenges. Those with teenagers, uh, those are fun years, aren't they? I always looked forward to the day that our oldest daughter would become 13. I, we just couldn't wait for to have a teenager in the house. And for the next several years, we had teenagers in our home. And they bring special joys and special challenges, special delights. But it's so much fun watching them as they make that shift from childhood to adulthood, and uh, as they go through those teen years. And by the way, did you know that in the Bible, there's no such thing as a teenager? It doesn't exist. And as a matter of fact, in American culture, there was no such thing as a teenager before about 1944, 1945. And that's interesting, is it? In American culture and in the Bible, there were only two categories of people. There were children, there were adults. And by the way, they became adults at about 12 or 13. They went through a, a ceremony called a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, and they were issued into their adult years. And they, when the Apostle Paul said, when I... Became a man, I put away childish things. When I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted as a child, behaved as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And do you know that he wasn't talking about 18 or 21, he was talking about 12 or 13. When I became an adult, I started thinking like an adult. And I assumed adult responsibilities. But back in the 40s and 50s, especially in the 50s, Marketing people said, uh, You know what? If we invent teenagers, we can sell them a bunch of stuff. We can make them feel like there's a market just for them. And that's what they did. And it worked. And uh, all kinds of record sales, and clearosil, and all kinds of stuff, hair. Uh, what was that? Y'all wouldn't remember it, but there was a thing called butch wax. You ever hear of butch wax? Most of the teenage boys back when I was a teenager got their hair cut in what was called a a crew cut or a flat top. It was a flat top. And it was like you just took a, a, a chainsaw and just went across the top of their head. But the hair wouldn't stand up. So you could buy a tube of this called butch wax and you... It was, just, uh, it was just grease, basically, in a tube. And, uh, Johnny, you don't remember that, do you? Uh, and you'd, you'd run that stuff back over your hair, and it'd make your hair stand up straight, and, and your head looked flat. And uh, you've seen pictures of it, though, haven't you? Everybody's seen pictures. Well, I had my tube of it, too, you know, and, man, I would, I would uh, get my hair standing up straight. The only problem is my hair was curly, and so it would stand up straight for a while, and then it would begin to curl. And I had uh, uh, a curly flat top. And, uh, and, of course, we had to throw our pillows away after about two months because all that wax in your hair as you slept at night, it would transfer to your pillow. It was nasty. Okay. Well, that's, uh, uh, so teenagers are a special group. I love teenagers, and, uh, uh, but they face a lot of challenges today, don't they? It's tough being a teenager today. It's different than when I was a teenager, actually. And uh, a lot of challenges. And I pray for our teenagers. And, uh, and uh, And then there are those that watch their little eaglets leave the nest. That's kind of a challenging time and a fun time. You know, you've raised them. You know, we're not raising kids. You know that? You know that, Elizabeth? You know, you're not raising children. You're raising adults. But they're not. I mean, they are biblically. They're adults already. But but you're raising them to fly out of their nest. But most <laughs> most mothers want to tie a little uh, string around their feet and so say, "Not not quite ready for them to fly." And uh, but the day does come when they when they leave the nest, and that provides its own special challenges, doesn't it? We could actually do a whole series on that. And then those with grown children. Uh, I used to think that when my children got grown, I wouldn't worry about them anymore. That's not the truth, is it? No. You still have them on your heart. You still have them on your mind. And when you see your grown children making choices that you think wouldn't be the right choice, you're in a predicament. Because when they were a little child, you could correct them. Stop that. Don't do that. But when they're grown, you feel a little bit more hesitant about being able to say, you can't do that because they're grown now. And uh, you can give counsel, but you no longer have the kind of control or influence that you had when they were little. So it's a special challenge having grown children as well. And then there are those with wayward children, those whose children have rebelled, like the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke. And then there are those with grandchildren, great-grandchildren. So that kind of runs again. Who have I left out? Who have I left out? Have I left out any, any group? Okay, well, I'll try to cover all of them. So what do, what do we, how do we approach this whole idea of children? Well, for one thing, we understand that children are a gift from God. The Bible says in Psalm 127 that children are a heritage of the Lord. They're a gift from God, and every child is a gift, and all of these that I've just mentioned, uh, God has given them to us as a gift, and sometimes it's a, a gift that just brings great joy and delight and thrill, but it also sometimes brings pain and sadness and challenge, but they are a gift. And then the second thought that I had is that there is a God gives to mothers a natural affection for their children. Uh, I've heard it say, you know, there's no love like a mother's love. Well, that's not true. There are some mothers who have a very selfish love, but, but when, when love is right in a mother's heart, it's very close to God's love. It is a, a, almost a divine love. Listen to Isaiah 49:15. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you, God says. And it's strange. When the Bible talks about the last days, it says one of the signs of the last days is that people will be without natural affection. They won't have natural affection. And we see that today. It's hard for me to believe that a woman who finds out that she's pregnant could grieve rather than rejoice. That's supposed to bring great joy. In the Bible, when a woman was not pregnant, wasn't able to get pregnant, she grieved. But then when she got news, you're going to have a baby, she rejoiced. That's natural affection. That's the way it ought to be. And yet there are so many mothers today who do not love their children. They do not love their children. And uh, that's hard for me to grasp. And, of course, many fathers the same way. Now, just uh, a third thought that I had was that all mothers are inadequate and fail. Fail. From time to time. My wife and I talk about this pretty often. We look back on our years of parenting and we just say man we wish we'd have known what we know now. We wish we'd have done this. We wish we'd have done that. Wish we hadn't have done this. Wish we hadn't have done that. Any of you other mothers ever say anything like that? <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a lot of head nodding right now. Sure. Uh, well the fact is uh, none of us do the right thing all the time. In fact, sometimes even when we think we're doing the very right thing, the best thing, later we look back on it and say, oh, that was probably the wrong thing. So I'd say to you mothers, uh, God understands that as well. He, he calls on you to learn as much as you can and then to do as much wisely as you can, but also then to recognize when you look back to realize That's what God's forgiveness is for. God's grace says to us, whether we have failed in big ways or small ways, God's grace says, my son's blood covers that. So, uh, all of us need the gospel every day. Mothers, fathers, children... You need the gospel every day. Some people think the gospel is just for salvation. We just confess our sins, trust in Jesus. We say, no, we need the gospel every day. And here's what the gospel is. The gospel is that all of us have fallen short. All of us have sinned. We've all failed in God's plan for our life because we are flawed sinners In a fallen world. Now that's how the gospel starts. That's not the gospel. That's the basis for the gospel. The gospel is that God loves sinners. And that he sent his son to die for sinners. Until you realize that you have a need. You will never call upon Jesus for forgiveness or for help. One of the greatest problems I see today in many people that I deal with is that they, they have the heart of Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament. They will never acknowledge that they're wrong. They live their life always blaming other people and always making excuses for their own failures. And you will never find forgiveness And you will never find peace with yourself until you recognize that you are a sinner. The greatest need that people have is to recognize they have a need. And until a person can say, I was wrong, I failed, they'll never have a sense of full cleansing and forgiveness and I know people I counsel with people very often that all they want to do is point the finger at other people well I may have messed up I may have done wrong but they always have that but in there it was somebody else's fault wasn't my fault and they are excuse makers and blame shifters and they can never Receive grace because grace is not for people who have no need. Grace is for sinners. Grace is for people who can say honestly and clearly, I have failed. And so understanding that, I would say to you uh, about your mothers, you children, Young people, adults, give your mothers some grace. One of the one of the big mistakes that people make is saying to their children negative things about their parents, their their own parents. Did that make that clear? So it would be like if I were to say to my children really negative bad things about my dad rather than good things and positive things about my dad, I am building in my children an opportunity and maybe even a a reason to eventually say negative things about me. That makes sense? If you as a mother say to your children bad things about your mother then you shouldn't be shocked when your children grow up and have negative attitudes toward you because they've seen that modeled is that making sense it makes sense you understand what i'm talking about so what we do we don't excuse our mother's failures our father's failures. But we recognize that they, like we, were sinners. And they needed grace like we need grace. And they need grace from us like we needed grace from God. And like we will need grace from our children when they grow up. This all made a lot of sense to me as I was putting it together. I feel like I'm, am I, is it sounding right? Is it sounding right? So, one of the things that you want to do, children, is look at your mothers recognizing that they are struggling just like you're struggling. And that encourages you to pray for them. And I'm amazed. I meet people who talk about how, well, my dad hurt me. My mother, she wounded me. She did this and this and this. And then I look at their life and I think, well, you're wounding your children a hundred times more than your mother wounded you. And yet, all you can see is how you were done wrong, but you can't acknowledge what you've done wrong. Isn't it funny how we can justify our own actions and at the same time magnify the wrong actions of other people? So my point is, practice the gospel in your home. Practice the gospel in your parenting. Practice the gospel in relating to your parents. And you say, I recognize we are all flawed. My parents were flawed. Their parents were flawed. And by the way, one thing I've learned is that a lot of the flaws that a lot of the failures that our parents made were a result of some of the flaws that their parents made in parenting them. And uh, I know I've told you that my dad, my dad taught me so many good things. He taught me the importance of working hard, taught me the importance of being honest, taught me the importance of respecting women, but my dad didn't know how to be a dad because he had not had a dad who knew how to be a dad. And had I understood that when I was 18 or 19 or 20 years old, it would have made a huge difference in the way I accepted and prayed for my dad. And, uh, and one thing that it did do for me it made me determined to try to learn how to be a dad. And, uh, and still made plenty of mistakes even after I'd learned as much as I could learn. So remember our sinful humanity. This is part of the gospel. Remember our sinful humanity. Receive the grace of God in your own life. Acknowledge your need. Believe that God really loves you and confess who you are now in Christ. That's the gospel. I, I come to Jesus as a sinner. And I say, I have failed. I have fallen short. I have sinned. And then I look at the cross. And I say, you love me that much. And then I receive him. And then I confess now I am new, not perfect, but new, and I now have a new identity. Who I am in Christ makes all the difference, and then I realize that all of God's blessings, all of God's growth in my life comes by faith, comes by faith, by trusting him, doesn't come by working for him. It comes by believing in him, trusting him. Salvation is by grace through faith. Strength is by grace through faith. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then sanctification, growth is through faith. Galatians 3.5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? God's, it is all by faith. So my my point today, which was a lot clearer to me than I think it is to you, my point today is as mothers and as children with mothers and as fathers, We need to practice the gospel in our parenting and in our being parented. We need to to recognize that God loves sinners. That doesn't justify our sin. It doesn't excuse it. But it does say to us, I must come without any excuse, without any blame. I can never blame God. My past or my parents, I come and say, God, I am a sinner. I need your grace, and I trust you, and I receive it. Now, that's the way we receive salvation, but it's also the way we receive strength. It's also the way we receive every blessing that God wants us to have. I know I've asked this about six times now. Does that make sense? Everybody getting that? Okay. Well, maybe I'm struggling with it, but I'm some of you just kind of looking at me like. Huh? Okay. Well, I hope you got it. Because that's what I would love to see us do. As we move forward in our parenting process, we don't parent from a sense of thinking we're perfect. We're not perfect. We parent from a sense of saying, I am imperfect. But until we admit that, see, until we acknowledge that I need you every hour. Jesus, I need you for this. I need you to erase my past, cleanse my past. I need you to strengthen my present. I need you to give me hope for my future Until we come as a sinner receiving grace, we will never be the parent or the child that God wants us to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, all through these over 55 years that I've been married, over 50 years that I've been a father, I have cried out so many times and have felt inadequate so many times and have failed so many times. And yet every time I'm able to come to you with a broken heart, a contrite spirit, and to cry out and say, Father, forgive me I make no excuses I shift no blame I just cry out and say father forgive me and I receive your grace and it's adequate it's sufficient at that moment and then I receive your instruction to try to walk forward in newness of understanding in life and yet I fail again because even though I'm saved, I'm still flawed and I'm still weak. So I pray today for each person here. Lord, give us understanding. Give us the grace to seek your grace. Give us the ability to understand that we need your gospel to live by, not just to be saved by. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just ask you a question. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's the beginning of the Christian life. It's coming by grace, through faith, believing that Jesus died for us. That's just the beginning, though, because the, the real Christian life is entered by faith but it's lived by faith as well the gospel saves us but the gospel keeps saving us and the gospel will someday ultimately save us we'll be glorified with him are you washed in the blood that's the first thing most likely on a pandemic morning with 35 people here everybody here maybe can say i i'm I'm saved but i would still extend to you this invitation if you've not trusted in jesus we're going to sing one verse of a of an invitation hymn and if you need to come i'm going to ask you to come and trust in jesus as we stand together as we sing